Today on Truths That Transform. It is the doctrine of the image of God in all human beings that makes all human life sacred without exception. We are much more than just material, flesh, bone, blood, what have you. There is a component to man that is different. Welcome, I'm Pastor Rob Pacienza. We Christians won a great victory at the Supreme Court last year when Roe v. Wade was finally done away with. It was absurd to pretend that the Constitution somehow guaranteed a woman's right to kill her child. But even so, abortion remains with us, with some states even promoting abortion tourism, where women travel for easy abortions. How did we get to the point where the destruction of human life could be so acceptable? On today's program, we'll investigate that question and respond to it with biblical truth. The theory of human origins that comes from Charles Darwin is forced on every public school student in America. But you may not realize how it has led to a culture of death. See how, as we begin today with a preview of our brand new documentary, Chaos, Darwin's assault on the image of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. For Christians, you know, it's very simple. We believe that all human beings were created in God's image. God created us separately, and we are sacred. We are much more than just material, flesh, bone, blood, what have you. There is a component to man that is different. God is the one who gives life, and God is the one that uh, decides when life should end. That is the Christian perspective. Darwinism undermines the Judeo-Christian sanctity of life ethic. There's a whole section uh, in the uh, Descent of Man, about a three-page section or so, in which he talks about the extinction of races, and so it was forthrightly uh, a justification for genocide, claiming that it's just a part of the natural process. He talks about uh, whites being having fully evolved, or plateaued, fully evolved, so that means they have the intellectual capacity and the resourcefulness much more than any other ethnicity. And he says, uh, by the way, I mean, you could tell that my evolutionary theory is at work when you look at the blacks because they are subhuman, uh, they are apes, gorillas, and savages. Darwin very forthrightly embraced a racist outlook, which he thought uh, was actually a uh, support for his theory, 
The deadly theories of genetic purity and racial extinction were an amalgam of theories popularized by Charles Darwin and his two cousins, Thomas Malthus and Francis Galton. Darwin comes around with his older cousin, Thomas Malthus, who married his first cousin in order to keep the genes closely tied within their family. Thomas Malthus was the first one to really proclaim the world can't hold all the people that are populating the earth. Charles Darwin comes along and he develops his theory of evolution. And technically it wasn't connected to Malthus, but others quickly made the connection, including his cousin, Francis Galton, who developed the theory of eugenics, uh, which combining Darwin's theory of evolution and uh, Malthus's theory of the population meant that it was important for scientists uh, to step in and intervene, that it was important to uh, somehow limit the population growth, particularly of undesirable peoples. Francis Galton, interestingly, he came to the idea of eugenics while he was reading The Origin of Species, according to his own uh, account. Uh, and he wanted to promote the evolution of humans uh, to higher levels and to stop any kind of degeneration that might be going on. Margaret Sanger comes along at the beginning of the 20th century and she realizes, tying into Malthus, Galton, and Darwin, it was important to limit the possibility of that human sexuality producing children. Therefore, birth control, abortion, the elimination of the unwanted races. In 1923, Margaret Sanger wrote in the New York Times, Birth control means the release and cultivation of the better racial elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extirpation of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. So Margaret Sanger started this whole movement. She founded the Birth Control League that became Planned Parenthood during her lifetime. Margaret Sanger, she was a eugenicist. Uh, she advocated for mass sterilizations. In the 1921 uh, International Eugenics Conference in New York City, they actually had a diagram that they uh, put on postcards and posters and placards and other things. The uh, saying over it is that eugenics is the self-direction of human evolution. Margaret Sanger advocated for eugenic population control, including governmental programs of sterilization as the remedy to the problem of, as she called it, an increasing rate of morons. So one of the most infamous court cases in United States history dealt with eugenics, and it dealt with a forced sterilization law, where a young woman named Carrie Buck, uh, who was downgraded as of uh, lower worth, as an imbecile, um, based on actually doctors who didn't even see her. And, and by the way, she was not an imbecile, but the sterilization case went all the way up to the United States Supreme Court, where unfortunately she lost, in a case that still has never been overruled. Supreme Court Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, writing for the 8 to 1 majority, said, Society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. In America, 
Eugenics boards in 33 states oversaw the sterilization of at least 70,000 people between 1907 and 1977. Margaret Sanger launched the Negro Project through her Birth Control Federation, which later became Planned Parenthood. In her 1939 letter to Dr. Clarence J. Gamble, she wrote, We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea. The reason why we have, uh, have abortion as a part and parcel of eugenics is because of white supremacy. Even today, Planned Parenthood's clinics are disproportionately in uh, poor neighborhoods. In Houston, my hometown, which um, it, it's a seven-story clinic, and it's at the convergence of three of the poorest neighborhoods uh, in Houston. Um, two African-American and one Hispanic. Not only are 86% of all Planned Parenthood abortion facilities located in or near minority neighborhoods, but black women account for 33.6% of all reported abortions, even though they represent less than 7% of the total population of the United States. For every 1,000 black babies born alive, 386 are aborted. Blacks are being targeted by the abortion industry and its genocide. If you believed in a benevolent, sovereign, all-powerful creator and God, then you recognize, wait a minute, why are you saying that we have these race differences? There is no difference. There's one human race. We have God that says he is not a respectable person. So why are we having this conversation? There's one blood and one race. There's only one human race. And so... Those who followed Charles Darwin or Margaret Sanger or many of the eugenicists of the world, they believed and bought into a thought that there's a superior race of people. One of the things that every revolution must do is control the language. In, uh, in every revolution that we have seen throughout history, the assault on the dictionary has almost always been as bitter and as fierce as the assault on the Bible. Uh, and so when it comes to Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, they very wisely chose the language of choice, of uh, freedom for women, of, uh, of a healthy sexuality, of, uh, of you know, abortion being a health care issue. This is the control of language that is necessary to popularize and to destigmatize what otherwise would be considered abominable practices. I would caution uh, women to think about the sacredness of what human life is. Don't just decide that a living human being is yours to kill at will. Prior to the early 1980s, I was a women's rights activist. I got married in the 1960s, had abortions and the birth of my first son in the 1970s, and I was on the soapbox. A woman has a right to choose what she does with her body, and that's true, she does, but the baby's not her body. 
I became born again in the 80s and became a champion and a voice for life. So do we have responsibilities? Proverbs, the 24th chapter, 11th and 12th verse, it says, what about those people who are being drawn into death, those who are about to be slain? Do you have a responsibility? And it says, doesn't God who sees all knows whether, doesn't he know what you did? Those are pretty powerful words. And uh, so we do have a responsibility. I want to say to the women of America, the families of America, and all of the people of America, that there has to be a better way to serve women and to protect children without aborting our children. The Darwinian account of where we came from says that we are merely the products of a purely natural process with no creator God involved. It's fundamentally contrary to the account given by God in the Bible. The difference is the difference between day and night and between life and death. I recently shared the biblical foundation for life from the pulpit to our congregation here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. I want to talk about what it means to have a biblical foundation for life. We believe unashamedly, unapologetically, that all human life from the moment of conception has intrinsic value because they are made in the image of God. To help us form a biblical foundation of life or a biblical worldview concerning human life, I want us to look at the foundational text of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, we see the foundational teaching of the image of God in all human life, what theologians have called the Imago Dei. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, if God said it, we should pay attention. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, and over all earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Two foundational truths are found here in Genesis chapter 1 that help inform a biblical foundation for human life or a biblical worldview for human life. The first is this, the first foundational truth, number one, the sanctity of all human life. In verses 26 and 27, God reveals that there is something different, something special, something about human life that will set them apart from all other creation, from all other created beings. And it is this foundational truth of the image of God. It is the doctrine of the image of God in all human beings 
that makes all human life sacred without exception. 2,000 years ago, this changed and transformed the, the Roman Greco world. There is no other explanation that in the midst of a Roman pagan empire that you saw the slow illegalization of abortion, infanticide, you saw women's rights and children's rights restored and established in the Roman Empire. You saw widows cared for and orphans cared for. Why? Because of the image of God in all human beings, promoted and declared and taught by the church. You see, this is the objective truth that informs our biblical foundation of life. Everything else is just words and propaganda. We are people of the book. And in the midst of such atrocity, we need to go back to the book to inform our thinking and inform our action concerning human life. The sanctity of all human life grounded in the foundational truth that all people are created in God's image. But here's the second foundational truth, and this is so important. Because not only does Genesis tell us about the sanctity of all human life, but it actually informs when human life begins. And this is critical because you might be here today or know somebody that would agree with everything that's been said so far in this sermon. Yes, all human life is sacred. But the question really is, when does human life begin? And what we read in verses 26 and 27 tells us about the beginning of all human life. And this is what it says in plain language. God made them and created them. Now, God doesn't make and create something outside of the womb. That would be absurd. We clearly understand that, that God is revealing to us that he makes us and creates us in the womb. And when does the image of God get put on an individual? Outside of the womb? Does God allow a child to be born and then he says, my image will be bestowed upon you? You will be marked by my image? Nobody believes that. Now we are told in Genesis chapter 1 that personhood, that the image of God, that God fashions and creates and makes in the womb with his image, meaning that personhood begins not after birth, but at the moment of conception. Psalm 139, verse 13, a passage many of you are familiar with. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God is speaking about the personhood being established from the moment of conception. It is not outside of the womb. It is not once a child is able to rationalize. It is not while a child is able to talk or walk. It is a person from the moment of conception. This is the truth. And here's the problem. The motto of our culture is my body, my choice. It's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Because if it is true that all human life is sacred because they've been created in the image of God and personhood begins in the womb, that is not your body. It is not your body, your choice. That is another body that exists inside another body. Now, some of you say, yeah, yes, but science disagrees. Oh, really? 
We've established in the word that personhood begins at conception. But look at the science for all the skeptics that say the Bible and science and medicine do not correlate. At eight weeks of age, the baby in the womb at eight weeks, the baby in the womb can suck its thumb, can feel pain, respond to sound. The brain is active. The heart is pumping. The kidneys are producing cleansing fluid throughout the body. And we know at 21 weeks of age that the baby can survive outside the womb. It is the word of God, special revelation, and science and medicine general revelation that tell us that this is not your body. And if it's another body, sacred from the moment of conception, it teaches us this foundational truth for life that we do not kill babies, period. Hello, I'm Jennifer Kennedy Cassidy. Something vital is lost when we dismiss the idea that human beings are specially created by God in his image. Human life becomes cheap and disposable. The value of life becomes tied to one's productivity or happiness meaning your life is worth less when you're facing health or life difficulties. The image of God has been under attack since Satan visited the Garden of Eden. But the evolutionary theory of Charles Darwin brought the idea that human beings are just accidents of nature into the mainstream. The radical atheist Richard Dawkins once said, Darwin made it possible to be an intellectually fulfilled atheist and his theories spawned everything from forced sterilization in America to the genocide of the Nazis. If that sounds impossible to you, then you've had the true history hidden from you. Discover it in the compelling book, Evolution's Fatal Fruit, How Darwin's Tree of Life Brought Death to Millions by Tom DeRosa. Tom was an atheist and an evolutionist before coming to faith in Jesus under the preaching of my father, Dr. D. James Kennedy. After his conversion, Tom went back and looked at the evidence and discovered he'd been taught lies. You and your children have been taught those lies too, more than likely. Discover the truth about the devastating impact that Darwin's view of origins has had on our world in evolution's fatal fruit. And if you're able to give a generous gift of $50 or more, we'll send you the book plus our brand new DVD program, Chaos, Darwin's Assault on the Image of God. You saw a portion of this vital special earlier in this program. Darwin's theory of evolution propelled Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger to promote birth control and abortion on racist grounds, believing she was aiding the process of evolution by eliminating so-called undesirables. It propelled Adolf Hitler in his quest to build a master race. An evolutionary theory has led to a cheapening of human life in our schools and on our streets. Chaos, which we've just finished production on, presents the true history that most people don't know about, and it offers a scientific challenge to the theory of evolution itself. It features experts like philosopher of science Stephen Meyer from the Discovery Institute and Icons of Evolution author Jonathan Wells, among many others. And we'll send it to you along with the book, Evolution's Fatal Fruit, as our thanks for your generous donation of $50 or more. And when you give, you're helping us to produce documentaries and television programs, podcasts, and print resources, 
all proclaiming biblical truth on our culture's most controversial issues. There's simply no one else doing what we're doing, and we need your help and God's grace to continue. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11154, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 877-962-7677, or go online to djkm.org. When human life is seen as created by God in His image, we are endowed with infinite value. But when we see human life as merely a chance collision of atoms, a big cosmic accident, then human life becomes cheap, and the most defenseless among us become targets. You can draw a straight line from Darwin's theory of evolution to the concentration camps of Germany, the eugenics movement in Europe and America, and Margaret Sanger's abortion movement in America. For 50 years, we've seen propaganda wrapped in the virtue of personal liberty after the absurd Roe v. Wade decision declaring abortion to suddenly be a constitutional right. Thankfully, the Supreme Court finally went back and rectified that mistake last year, but not before the wholesale slaughter of 63 million innocents. So what should we, who are convinced of the sanctity of human life, do now? First we need to get involved. Anyone from teenagers to senior citizens can be involved for human life. You can pray. You can serve at a pro-life pregnancy facility. You can sign a petition or call your local representatives for better laws protecting human life in your area. We cannot merely shake our fist at the darkness, but do nothing about it. Get going, not tomorrow, but today. And get active in the movement to uphold life. Be a beacon of hope and light in the midst of darkness. Second, we need to know the facts. With human lives, the lives of children, on the line, we cannot afford to be ignorant. For instance, did you know that 92% of Down syndrome babies are aborted? They have been categorically targeted for destruction because parents have been convinced such a child's life is not worth living. We've all lived through a COVID pandemic that has taken an estimated 6.9 million lives worldwide since it began. But do you know how many babies lost their life to abortion just in the most recent year we have statistics for, 2019? Globally, it was 73 million children. More than 10 times the entire worldwide COVID death toll are dying from abortion annually. That, my friends, is a global pandemic. So be informed, know the facts, and make sure that other people know them too. Third, and most importantly, extend the hope of Jesus Christ, which is the only true hope in this battle, to others. If the statistics are true, one in four women have had an abortion. That means just about everyone either has been involved in an abortion or knows someone who has. In Jesus Christ, we can find love and forgiveness and cleansing from even the worst sins. True hope and forgiveness and healing are found nowhere else but in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us extend that gospel hope to others and support and encourage our churches to be places that truly offer forgiveness and support life. Thank you for being with us today. Make sure you connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. 
And always remember that you're welcome to join us for worship here at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale. You can join us by live stream every Sunday morning at crpc.tv. And here's a look at the next Truths That Transform. Darwinian evolution is really a philosophy masquerading as empirical science. That's next week. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.